am sure that this will not in any way be news to you, but there is no life without change and transition. But change and transition are never without their challenges. So it is true that life always involves challenges. And challenges can sometimes discourage us from moving forward and taking ground. Concern over the obstacles that we might face or the hindrances and barriers that we might encounter or the troubles that might come into our lives can cause us to almost like slow down to the point of an idol, just completely standing still. So those things, when we think about them and we're looking forward to transitions or change, they can keep us from pressing forward and taking ground. A few weeks ago, I shared that in this life, we are always either taking ground or we are backsliding. There really is no such thing as standing still. So when we're looking forward to the possibility, the prospect of change and transition and knowing that there's gonna be challenges and difficulties associated with those changes and transitions, the temptation for us is to be idle and to stop. But if we do, we will begin backsliding or maybe you could even say drifting. Living here in Southern California, I'm sure that if you do live here, as I do, you've been to the beach many times before and you've experienced the currents that can cause you to drift. It's like you start out in front of one lifeguard tower and within a couple of hours of being in the water, you are two or three lifeguard towers down the beach. So we're never standing still. We are either moving forward and taking ground or we are backsliding and drifting. I believe that that is true, but it is also true that there are often many things that stand before us and keep us from wanting to move forward and to take ground. There are always challenges before us. That was certainly the case in Numbers chapter 13, which we considered together a few weeks ago, when the children of Israel were on the border about to come into the promised land the first time. And Moses at that time in Numbers chapter 13, he sent 12 spies into the land. The majority of those spies, when they came back, they gave the majority report. And that, that, and that was that the land was good. All of the spies said that. All 12 of the spies said the land is good. But 10 of those 12 spies, they said that there were great enemies and obstacles before them in the land. Now, I want to say that actually was a true assessment. That's not false. What they saw in the land was giants and enemies and fortified cities and all of these issues and problems and hindrances and challenges. But that wasn't the whole story because God, as he constantly told the children of Israel, he was going to be with them when they would go into the promised land. But the majority report of those 10 of the 12 spies, they troubled the children of Israel with that evil report. And as a result, the children of Israel did not enter into the promised land. Instead, they would wander in the wilderness for 38 years after that, until that entire Exodus generation. And when I say the Exodus generation, I'm talking about every single person who was basically an adult, above 20 years old and up, who came out of their bondage in Egypt, who crossed through the Red Sea, all of those people, they all perished in the wilderness over those 38 years because they would not go up into the promised land. So Israel was at the border of the promised land 38 years before what we're going to see today. And now they are at the border of the promised land again, after wandering in the wilderness. 
the land before them is still good. It is still fruitful, just as the 12 spies had said 38 years prior to this. And there are still obstacles and enemies in the land. There are still fortified cities and giants. All of those things are still there. They haven't been removed. So the obvious temptation for the children of Israel as they come back to the border of the promised land for the second time, the obvious temptation was to be afraid, to be fearful. But Israel's progress would depend upon faithfulness and bold steps of faith. And that's always the case for, for you, for me. Our progress in this life as followers of Christ always depends upon faithfulness and bold steps of faith. This was one of those major crossroad moments for the people of Israel. And I'm sure that you have faced something similar to that in your life. We all find ourselves at some point in our lives at a moment of transition, as a moment of pivot, like I talked about about a month ago here at the church, where you come to a crossroads. If you haven't experienced that quite yet, you will. If you aren't going through it right now, you probably will again in the future. There is no life without change. There is no life without transition. And change and transition are never without their challenges. And the change and transition for Israel, we see it like this in Deuteronomy chapter 34, the very last chapter of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 34, beginning at verse 8, it's, or verse 1, it says this. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him, Moses, all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And then the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, Moses, but you, shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him, which is very interesting, not gonna get into it today, but it says that he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows where his grave is to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished, and the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. You don't have to be a serious student of the scriptures to know that Moses was an extraordinary man. He was unique in all of history. Even people who haven't read the Bible have heard something about Moses or maybe seen one of the many Hollywood depictions of Moses. Moses spent 40 years learning to be an Egyptian in the household of Pharaoh, even though he was born to the Hebrews, the Jewish people. And then he spent the next 40 years learning to be a shepherd, maybe even unlearning all of his Egyptian training on what the scriptures talk about in Exodus as the backside of the desert out in the wilderness. So he spent 40 years in the household of Pharaoh learning to be an Egyptian. He spent 40 years in the wilderness learning to be a shepherd so that he could spend the last 40 years of his life leading Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness to bring them to the promised land. How do you eulogize such an extraordinary guy like Moses? I love what the scriptures say about him. We, we read there in this passage, Moses, the servant of the Lord. Moses, the servant of the Lord died. He was 
120 years old. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. It's an amazing thing to say. I mean, after all these amazing things that he did, yes, we have all of it chronicled for us in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers and so forth. But, but what's the tagline over his life? I mean, kind of what would you put on his tombstone? How would you eulogize him? Moses, the servant of the Lord. I was thinking a lot about that this last week and thinking about how, how do I want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? And I, I love that it just simply says Moses, the servant of the Lord. I think if ever there was somebody who would have heard or probably did hear God say to him those words that we find in Matthew's gospel, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I think if ever there was somebody who heard those words, it had to be Moses. Moses, the servant of the Lord. And those are the words that I want to hear. And it is required of servants that one be found faithful. Faithfulness is what we are called to. Faithfulness to the calling and commission of God. It is key. And that is exactly what Moses did for many, many years throughout his life. These 40 years leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, through the wilderness, helping them become the covenanted people of God and bringing them to the promised land. And now we read this at the end of Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. But since then there was not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all his land. And by all the mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. As we read these words at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, we discover very clearly that the transition from Moses to Joshua was one of necessity. Sometimes there are transitions that cannot be avoided, and this is one of those cases. Moses is dead, the children of Israel are there at the border of the promised land, and I, I think that the people of Israel were probably pretty anxious. Moses had been the one that had been with them and directing them and leading them for 40 years. Whenever they had any sort of issue or problem or concern or care or need, they came to Moses. And now Moses is gone. So the people of Israel, they had to be a little bit anxious. And I am sure that Joshua felt at least a little bit ill-prepared. He had to have some nervousness, some stress, some anxiety as well for this transition, for this path that was before him. That becomes clear when we look at the next passage that we're going to look at in just a moment, that there were some concerns in Joshua's mind for sure because of the words that God speaks to him. He's concerned about this stuff. But what was it that made Joshua ready to, to address this call and this task that God had given to him? Notice what it says there in that passage of scripture. It says in verse 9 of Deuteronomy chapter 34, now Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. If you're somebody who highlights or underlines things in your Bible, you might want to just underline that. Joshua was full of the spirit of wisdom. One of the first passages that I ever intentionally set out to memorize is found in the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. There Paul says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is being of ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. He is the one who enables us to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. 
It is God who enables us to serve and to lead faithfully in the calling that he has given to us. We do not trust in ourselves, but in God who enables and empowers us. This is such a key and important truth to see that Joshua, as he prepares to take the children of Israel into the promised land, crossing across the Jordan River, he was full of the spirit of wisdom. And he could not trust in himself. I'm sure he was feeling ill-prepared. He was feeling anxious. He was concerned and he could not trust in himself. He had to trust in God who was going to enable him by his spirit and empower him to do what he was going to do. And this is true for you and this is true for me as well. Now, I do think that this brings to the surface or it brings to the forefront a question. What does it mean to be full of the spirit or to be filled with the spirit? This last Sunday here at the church, I kind of did a change up and I, I taught a message here at the church that I hadn't planned to do. I didn't give the message that I gave here on YouTube last week. I gave a different message. It was kind of like a, a little audible, a change. And as a result of that, last Sunday night, we had a time of worship and prayer here at the church. And, and I really sensed that it was, a, it was a powerful time. I think it was really good. So in talking with a number of different leaders at our church and talking with our staff and our pastors this last week, we decided that we're gonna kind of call another audible and we're gonna have another time of prayer and worship here at the church this Sunday, February 26th at 6 p.m. We're gonna gather here in the sanctuary to spend some time in worship. During our gathering last Sunday, I invited those who were here in this room for worship and prayer to come forward to receive prayer for the filling of the spirit. And there were quite a few people who came forward and received prayer. We laid hands on them, we prayed for them, we asked that God would fill them with his spirit. But there was probably a majority of the people who were here that did not come forward. And two things came to my mind when I saw that there was a large group of people who did not come forward. First, I think that when you share something like I did, like, hey, come forward and receive prayer to receive the filling of the spirit, some people are a little bit freaked out about spiritual things like that. They don't know what that's all about. They've never been around that before. That's the first thing. Second thing, I think that some of the apprehension comes from just a lack of knowledge. So this Sunday night, we are going to have another time of extended prayer and worship here at Cross Connection Church. And I'm gonna spend a bit of that time just talking about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What doesn't it mean to be filled with the Spirit? At this moment in our culture, I am sensing, and I think a number of people in our church community here are sensing this as well, that there is a real desire for a genuine, transcendent connection with God. That, that's what we are all about here at Cross Connection Church. We want to live life in connection with God, one another, and the world through Jesus. Jesus makes it possible for you and I to connect with God. And there is this deep desire in people who are churchgoers and those who are not churchgoers to have some sort of connection with the transcendent. And there, there really is only one good thing to connect with that is transcendent, and that is God by his spirit. So we are going to talk a little bit about what that means this Sunday night. And um, I want to invite you to come on out. If you're watching this before 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time here in North County, on the 26th of February, I invite you to come out as we spend some time in prayer. Because ultimately what we need is the enabling and empowering of God by his Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit to enable us to walk 
in all that he's called us unto or into. Joshua is about to take leadership of the children of Israel and to bring them into the promised land. Was Joshua prepared? I'm sure he felt anxious. I'm sure he was a little bit feeling as though he was ill-prepared. Was he prepared? And my answer to that question would have to be yes, because Joshua was full of the Spirit, for Moses had laid hands on him. The Spirit of the Lord is called in the Scriptures the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. There are many different things that are associated with the Spirit of God. And we need the fullness of the Spirit of God in and upon our lives so that we will be able to step into the fullness of all of God's blessing. And so again, if you're in the area here and you're watching this before 6 p.m. on February 26th, 2023, I, I would hope that you would join us. God has a mission and a calling for each of us. And we need God's enabling power to be able to fulfill that calling. I cannot do what God has called me to do in sharing the good news of the gospel with as many people as I possibly can without the enabling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now, even if we have the enabling power of the Spirit of God, that does not always mean that we will not have some anxiety and apprehensions and fears as we step into what it is that God has for us. I can remember, it's now decades ago, when I first began to step into the work that God has called me to do. God has called me to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. He's called me to teach the scriptures and to pray for God's people. And that is the same calling that I have had since I first began to serve the Lord when I was 19 years old in 1999. And before that, there was a group of people here at the church who came and laid hands on me, just like Moses laid hands on Joshua and prayed that God would fill me and enable me by his power and by his spirit. But even though I knew what the scriptures say about that, even though I believed that God had given me his Holy Spirit to step into those things that he had called me to do, there was still some pretty significant anxiety and fear and maybe you could say like trepidation when I began to step into those things that God had called me to. And that, that fear, that apprehension, it lingered for a while. It wasn't something that went away like instantly. But even if we have that kind of fear, here the children of Israel are at the border of the promised land. Moses is dead. And the promised land stands before them with all the same problems, all of the same hurdles and challenges. And at this moment of transition, the temptation is to freeze and to be afraid and maybe run the other way. But the children of Israel needed to move forward. They needed to take ground in spite of that fear. And we need to move forward and take ground in spite of fear. So we finally come to this great passage of scripture in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter one, verse one, follows right after Deuteronomy chapter 34. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, there it is again. It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Again, the temptation when we are facing challenges, 
when we are facing change and transition is to become idle. It is to freeze or to run the other way, to disengage. We do this out of fear if we freeze. But God says to his people at this moment, as they are standing there and Moses is dead, he says, get up and go. They have mourned for Moses for 30 days and God says to Joshua, get up and go. I am giving you this land, the land that I promised to Abraham and to his descendants. That's all of these people, the children of Israel and every place that the sole of your foot treads upon, I have given it to you. So get up and go. Do you realize that God has won your salvation? From the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Your salvation is available and secure in Christ Jesus, as long as you are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You could not receive the abundance of God's spiritual blessings in Moses by the law. The law cannot give you the fullness of life that God gives you in Christ Jesus. They're only found in Christ Jesus, every spiritual blessing. In the New Testament book of Ephesians, a favorite passage of mine, we read this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Paul says there that we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We have adoption. We have redemption. We have forgiveness of sins. We have grace that God is going to continue to pour out to us or upon us throughout all eternity. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, he says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, the riches of God's grace is going to be revealed to us. We have all these wonderful spiritual blessings and promises from God in Christ Jesus. In another place, the Apostle Paul says that, all of the promises of God are in him, in Jesus. Yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. What that means is that in Christ Jesus, God says yes to every promise that is given to us. Yes, those are all for us. But though he works in us, his good pleasure, and though he gives us all these great promises, we still have to arise and go faithfully stepping into all that God has promised to us by faith. We, we have to step into these things. They are all ours, but we actually have to step in and lay hold of or take hold of that which God has promised to us. There are some, when you study the book of Joshua, and we're going to be spending quite a bit of time over the next months going through the book of Joshua, there are some who I believe have wrongly taught that Israel's entrance into the promised land is kind of synonymous with, or it points to, or typifies 
our future entry into heaven. So it's as if the children of Israel crossing the Jordan River and going into the promised land is like you and I crossing death, if you will, and going into eternity, going into heaven. I don't think that that's the best way to understand or interpret what is happening here in this passage. I think that Israel's conquest of the promised land and their life in the promised land point instead to our laying hold of the fullness of the blessing of the abundant life that Jesus Christ desires that you and I would have. You know, in the New Testament, there are a number of places in the Gospels where Jesus explicitly tells us what his purpose is. Why have I come? And one of them is one of my favorites in John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. And I think it's interesting that Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. What is life and life more abundantly? I think that life that he says I've come to give you is eternal life. Those who believe in him, trusting in him, receive eternal life. But he has something far greater than just eternal life in heaven. And in saying just eternal life in heaven sounds like diminishing it, but I'm, I'm not diminishing it. He, he is given in Christ. We have life, eternal life, the promise of that in the future to be with God in his presence after we pass from this life. So we have that life, but he also wants us to have abundant life that begins now enjoying and walking in the rest and the blessing and the joys of all of those promises that are in Christ, yes, and amen to the glory of God through him. So Jesus says, I've come that you may have life, eternal life, and that you may have it more abundantly. God wants us to experience that abundant life. Jesus redeems us from sin and death unto eternal life, but he desires that we would also experience in him the fullness of abundant life here and now as well. The children of Israel, they were redeemed from their bondage and slavery there in Egypt. And then they, though they were redeemed, they wandered in a wilderness for 40 years. God's aim was to bring them into the fullness of blessing in the promised land. The promises that we find in the scripture, they are ours. In the same way that the promised land belonged to Israel, they had it by inheritance. But Israel had to enter in by faith and faithfulness to take possession of that land. And we also need to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of us. If you're a Christian today, Christ Jesus saved you unto great things. He didn't just save you from sin. He saved you unto great blessing of abundant life. And he wants you to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of you. By faith, we must take possession of what God has entitled us to in Christ Jesus. But too often we are content to wander aimlessly in the wilderness like the children of Israel did for 40 years. We are redeemed from bondage in Egypt, but we are not fully tasting of all of God's goodness. As I shared several messages ago, at any stage of our lives, we find ourselves in one of three places. We are either enslaved in bondage in a place like Egypt, enslaved in bondage to sin and death. We are either wandering aimlessly in a wilderness or we are at rest in the land of promise and blessing. God's aim is to redeem and rescue us from bondage, to redeem us out of that place like Egypt, out of enslaved bondage and to guide and deliver us through the wilderness and to bring us into a life of victory and rest in his promised land of blessing. So simple question, 
Where do you find yourself today? Are you in bondage to sin in a place like Egypt under harsh taskmasters? Are you wandering in the wilderness or are you at rest in the land of promise? If you are enslaved in bondage to sin and death, Jesus came to redeem us through his death on the cross. He died in our place on the cross. And we lay hold of that redemption by faith, by trusting in him, by simply calling out to him. And because he raised from the dead, because he is seated at the right hand of glory in heaven at this moment, he hears our prayers when we call out to him. And if you are enslaved in bondage and you call out to God for his deliverance and you trust in the work that Jesus did on the cross, that what he did on the cross deals with, pays the penalty for your misgivings, failures, and sin, as you trust in him, he redeems you. But just like the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they find themselves in this place of wandering. And maybe you find yourself today kind of not feeling the fullness of the rest and blessing that you thought you were going to get when you started to follow Christ. If you're wandering in the wilderness, I want to encourage you. It is God's desire to bring you into the promised land of blessing and rest. That does not mean that you won't still have challenges, that you won't still have obstacles and hindrances and giants to face and all kinds of different battles. We're gonna see as the children of Israel step into the promised land, they have to take possession of it through conquest, through battle, through challenges. But there is rest and there is blessing there is abundant life in that promised land. So if you're wandering in the wilderness, it is God's desire to bring you into the promised land of blessing and rest as we trust in and follow him. Just as Joshua is going to bring the children of Israel across the Jordan into the land. There will still be obstacles. There will still be enemies. If anyone knew about those enemies, it was Joshua. 38 years prior to Joshua chapter 1, Joshua was one of those 12 spies who went into the land for 40 days. He saw all of the different obstacles that were there. He saw the giants. He saw the fortified cities. He knew what they were going to face better than anybody else, except for there's one other person, Caleb, which we will see later on as we go through Joshua in a number of months. But Joshua was the only one of those people that was standing there before him besides Caleb who knew what they were about to face. And I'm certain that Joshua had some anxiousness. He was concerned. He is not a young guy at this point in time. He is in his 80s at this point in time. So God speaks to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, and I have been looking forward to getting to this passage for a very long time because I, I love this passage of scripture. Joshua chapter 1 verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, Joshua. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. Let me say it again. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. I am sure that I don't even need to ask you the question because I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you want victory over that which stands before you in your life? The obstacles, the hindrances, the enemy. Do you want victory? Do you want to prosper in your life? Do you want to have good success in your life? I'm assuming that the answer is yes. If I'm correct, God gives Joshua and Israel and us 
the process, shall we say, the algorithm for victory, success, prosperity, and blessing. Victory was not assured or would not go to the strong or the swift. Israel's enemies in the land were probably bigger, stronger, better defended, and probably more prepared than the children of Israel were. So it wasn't going to go to Israel just because they were strong or swift. Victory, prosperity, and success, they were not assured because of Israel's power or strength or strategy. Victory in Christ is found by courage in and obedience to God's word. God says to Moses, be strong and of good courage. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all of the law that Moses commanded you. Do not turn to the right hand. Do not turn to the left hand away from it. And then you will prosper that you may prosper wherever you go. Be strong and courageous to stick to God's word, to endeavor by his enabling power, by his strength, by his spirit, to apply and to obey his word. A companion to what we read here in Joshua chapter one, and a companion that is worth your time in taking the time to memorize it. I know that for some people, memorizing scripture can be really hard. I found that one of the best ways to memorize scripture is to use your your smartphone and the voice recording app there and record yourself reading through the passage and then just listen to it a number of times a day for several days and you will find that you will memorize it very, very quickly. But this would be a passage that you would do well to memorize and to think about it, meditate upon it. That word is used here in this passage. But it's also used in a passage that I think you should take a look at in Psalm 1. One of these great famous passages from King David, the opening words of the Psalms, we read this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And the result? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. This may seem to you to be an incredible oversimplification, but it is reiterated in scripture dozens of times. Victory, blessing, rest, success, abundance, all of these things are the result of God's work in our lives by his word and by his spirit. So we read again, Joshua chapter one, verse eight, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, just like Psalm 1 says, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Note this, I think it is absolutely true. There is no possession of God's blessings without possessing God's word in your heart. How much of God's word have you hid in your heart? How much of your heart is possessed by God's word? The more of God's word that is in your heart, the more your heart will be possessed or gripped by God's word. And the more you will succeed and prosper in this life. Again, this might seem like an oversimplification, but my simple question to you is this, have you tested it? You may think like, come on, is that really all it's going to take for me to begin to walk into the promises that God has for me, that I put God's word into my heart? 
you might doubt that. You might think that's just way too simple. But again, have you tested it? Because I have seen in my life and in the lives of those that I respect and look up to that these things are true. There are people for sure who do not take heed to God's word, who do not know God's word, who have much wealth in this life. They appear to have a lot of success and prosperity, at least by the cultural standards that we go by in our culture. But they are not as successful and as prosperous as you might think. I was thinking about this as I was reading through in just my devotions this last week. I've been reading through the Proverbs and I was in Proverbs chapter 23. And in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17, it says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. I'm sure you've noticed, I've seen this in myself. It is easy for us to look at the lives of those who do not walk after God's word and after God's standards and assume that because of their position or their wealth, that they have it all and they are greatly blessed. But such an assessment doesn't take into account the reality that there is a hereafter. It says that right there in Proverbs 23, verse 18, there is a hereafter. Sometimes we can get so myopically focused on just this world and this life and we can see the things that other people who are not faithful to God have and we think that, well, why are they blessed and why do they succeed? And we look at the things that we lack and we think, well, I'm following God and how come I don't have those things? We're failing to recognize that there's something quite a bit bigger going on. The psalmist talks about this, I believe, in Psalm 73 as well. I looked at how people were that weren't following God and they seemed to have everything. They seemed to be blessed. And I started to get discouraged by this until I went to the house of God and there was a reminder that there is more to this life than right now. There is a hereafter. And true success and prosperity is not measured by the abundance of what one has in this life but ultimately in where their hope is for the next life. Israel's victory and their progress were not dependent upon their power or their strength or their strategy, but in God who was with them and would bless them as they followed him by faith faithfully. I can say this with absolute certainty. The more that God's word governs your heart and your mind and your steps, your actions, your life, the more you will experience God's victory, success, prosperity, blessing, and rest. Even if those things are measured by a different standard than the standards of this world. When the Bible talks about prosperity and success, I guarantee it is different than what Hollywood puts forth or what you know pop media puts forth as prosperity and blessing. The measures of prosperity, blessing, and success, they are different in God's economy. But I assure you, that they are better than any prosperity that you might attain in this life. So I encouraged you to memorize Psalm 1, 1 through 3. These verses in Joshua, they are valuable to remember as well. At the very least, maybe take some time today or this week and to think about this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Th this book, God's word, Meditate in it. That is to think on it day and night so that you might observe to do according to all that is written in it, that you might keep it, that you might apply it, that you might make it a part of your life because then you will make your way prosperous. When you take heed to the word of God, 
you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Don't, don't stand idly by because you're fearful to move forward and take ground because there's going to be obstacles and challenges. There will always be obstacles and challenges. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then we read this in Joshua chapter 1 verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days, you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord God is giving you to possess. Joshua was a man of faith and faithfulness. And I love this word that he speaks to the people. He says to the people, get ready because within three days, you're crossing over this Jordan River to go in to possess the land. I'm hitting on the same themes and points over and over again over the last several weeks. And we're going to be hitting on the same points over and over and over again as we go through the book of Joshua in these messages because they are important messages. So I want to resurrect a point that I made in a message a couple of weeks ago. Israel's progress depended upon faithfulness and bold steps of faith. And here we are in this situation where Joshua is calling the people to make a bold step of faith. Moses is dead. The people mourned for him for 30 days. And now Joshua says, okay, get up, get ready, let's go. This is an important moment for Joshua and Israel. As I've already made clear, the temptation is to stay put, to stay in Moab, to be idle. Israel has already been victorious over the people in that area of Moab and Ammon and among the Midianites east of the Jordan River. As we're going to see, two and a half of the 12 tribes, there were 12 tribes in Israel, two and a half of those tribes, they have already taken possession of a portion of the land east of the Jordan River. There are still giants and fortified cities in the land of Canaan across the Jordan River. There are still obstacles and hindrances and challenges and battles and troubles that lie ahead for the children of Israel. There are excuses and reasons galore to remain in Moab. All kinds of reasons to say, gosh, we don't really want to go into the promised land. That's going to be hard work. We don't have Moses anymore. We aren't prepared for battle. We are not a strong people. The people in the land have stronger battlements than we do. The only thing that came between Israel and the possession of the promised land 38 years prior in Numbers chapter 13 was unbelief. What is keeping you from laying hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of you? He has something for you. He has a, a lot of inheritance, a plot of inheritance for you to take hold of. And what is keeping you from laying hold of that? Victory, rest, blessing, success, all of those things and much, much more. They are yours in Christ Jesus. As the author of the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. That passage of scripture falls right after in the book of Hebrews, where it says that the generation that came out of Egypt, the Exodus generation, they did not lay hold of the rest. And so the author of the book of Hebrews, speaking to Christians like you, like me, if you're a follower of Jesus, he says, let us therefore be diligent to enter into the, that rest. We need to press forward and take ground or else we are backsliding and drifting. As we will see later on in the book of Joshua, there remains much more for each of us individually and for us as a church to take possession of. Much more blessing to lay hold of. We just have to press in and take ground by faith and faithfulness. 
So finally, we read this. I mentioned the two and a half tribes that were going to be on the east side of the Jordan River. We read this at the end of Joshua chapter one. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh, these are two and a half tribes of the people of Israel. Joshua spoke saying, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord commanded you saying, the Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land on the east side of the Jordan. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on, the side, on this side of the Jordan but you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which Lord your God is giving them. And then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise, so the east side. So they answered Joshua and said, all that you command us we will do and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. What we're seeing here in this passage is taking us back to the book of Numbers. Back in Numbers chapter 31, the children of Israel had a victory over the Midianite people who were east of the land of Canaan, east of the Jordan River, there in that part that was east of the main plot of the promised land. So they had had a battle and a war against the Midianites there and they were victorious over them. And after they were victorious over them, the heads of the tribes of Reuben and Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh, they petitioned Moses that they might remain in the land east of the Jordan and make that their possession and their home. And when they did, Moses responded like this. We read it in Numbers chapter 32. Moses says to the people, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given to them? So Moses hears this from the tribes, the heads of the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh, that they wanted to stay outside of the promised land. And he says, hold on a second. You can't stay here and rest while the rest of your brothers go into the promised land and have to fight against the enemies. So they struck an agreement between the two and a half tribes and the rest of the children of Israel. We read about it again in Numbers chapter 32. But we ourselves in verse 17 will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place and our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. Now here in Joshua, as the children of Israel are getting ready to come into the promised land, they are going to, the two and a half tribes are going to fulfill the vow that they had made a time before this. They say to Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And whatever you send us to go, we will go. And this is the right mindset. This is the right heart for those who follow God. Here am I, send me. Everything that you, Joshua, Jesus, everything that you command me, I will do. And wherever you send me, I will go. Here I am, send me. The successful servant of God stands before him with a ready heart. And I love the way that the heads of the two and a half tribes finish their conversation with Joshua. They say, we will do whatever you tell us to do. We will go wherever you send us. Everything that you command us to do, we will do. And we will deal decisively with anyone who will not follow your command. Only be strong, Joshua, and of good courage. They encourage their leader. They strengthen their leader. As I said a little bit ago, I've looked forward to this passage for a long time. I, I taught through the book of Joshua on Saturday nights here at this church 
many years before I took over this church, five years before I took over this church, I taught through the book of Joshua back in 2003, 20 years ago. I was 23 years old. And I believed then, and I believe all the more now, that God has great things for his church here, Cross Connection Church, in this community in the years to come. And as God will say later to Joshua in Joshua chapter 13, there remains very much land to be possessed. There's a lot more that God has for you and for me to do in his kingdom work here and now. There is so much more that God desires to do in and with and through us. And the only way that we will possess that possession, that we will take ground and lay hold of that for which God has laid hold of us, is that we trust in his enabling power to take that ground before us. That by his spirit and by his power and by his word at work in our lives, we can take possession of those things. The only way that we can take hold of that which God has saved us unto is as we have courage in and obedience to his word. And as we come before him with a ready heart, willing to take bold steps of faith faithfully. I, I am convinced that we have come to this book, the book of Joshua, for such a time as this. The Christian church in America has wandered in defeat and discouragement in the wilderness for far too long. It appears that God at this moment seems to be stirring his people to do a fresh work among them, but nothing will come of this fresh work that he desires to do if we sit idly by on the sidelines. So God's word to Moses is the same word to us, I think. Arise and go to the land that I'm giving to you. Father God, I pray that we would hear your spirit speaking. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church. God, there is a need for us to rise up in your power by your spirit with your word in our hearts, with your word like a sword in our hand to go out and to take possession of that which you have called us to. In whatever, whatever town we live in, whatever state we're in, whatever nation we're in, if we're not even in the United States of America, you have a call for us. And I pray that we would not walk in defeat and discouragement wandering in the wilderness any longer, but that we would step into by faith what you have for us. Do a work. Speak to us through this book that we're going to be studying through. Do a work in us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.